You're listening to the Unlocking Business Growth Podcast with Nola Heal. Nola has over 30 years of experience in financial and operations management for companies around the world. As a part-time CFO, she's dedicated to working with businesses of all sizes to create sustainable growth and amplify strategy. Today, I'm joined by Max Porterfield, the CEO, President and Director of successful mining company Kalinex Mines. Mr. Porterfield is well known in Canada's metal market, a graduate of Texas Tech University with a bachelor's degree in business administration. Max has over 10 years of experience in natural resources and finance. He previously worked with Brazil Resources Inc., Uranium Energy Corp and U.S. Global Investors. Welcome, Max. Thank you very much for joining us today. You have been involved with several mineral companies and investments over your career and now CEO of Kalinex Mines, exploring some exciting VMS or volcanic massive sulfide areas in Canada and base and precious metals. To start us off, can you give us a bit of background? What got you started? Yeah, so it's actually, uh, I guess sometimes in life you fall into things, uh, so to speak. So uh, right out of college, I was actually raised in, uh, in Texas, born in, in West Texas, where West Texas intermediates from, or, you know, oil and gas is kind of in, uh, in resources in the different side of the world or perspective in terms of the, um, the hydrocarbon is kind of uh, prevalent in Texas, obviously. I had an opportunity to go work for a, uh, a fund company called U.S. Global Investors that specializes in, in natural resources investments right out of college. It's been about six years there. So I really had a keen understanding in terms of, from an institutional investor standpoint, uh, how to look at these resource companies, how to, how to evaluate them, you know, the ins and outs of them from that end. And then immigrated to Canada in 2012 uh, and then was on the corporate side. So actually working for two other uh, exploration and, and development companies. Uh, in the uranium space as well as the gold space and then ultimately had the opportunity to take over Kalinex uh, in 2014 and so that's what led me to Kalinex and realized what a unique opportunity it was uh, to be able to explore for these metals in Canada at a really really mm-hmm. critical time for these communities uh, in these remote areas of Canada uh, that are not often appreciated or uh, kind of overlooked so to speak. Yeah, absolutely. So give us a bit of a feel for Kalinex. What are you focused on and where? Yeah, so we're really predominantly focused. We have assets in, in three different jurisdictions in Canada, uh, Manitoba, New Brunswick, and Newfoundland. And that's a real key focus is, is acquiring mineral assets. Uh, we've got some resources, a zinc deposit in, in New Brunswick, for example, as well as a, a gold copper zinc deposit in Newfoundland. And we've, uh, so in proximity to these Canadian mining jurisdictions where you already have the workforce, the infrastructure in place, which is really the biggest hurdle uh, for a deposit to be economic, uh, is getting these, you know, upfront capex is to get these people in these places, power, road access, water, those type of critical needs uh, to a deposit. Uh, And so what we're doing in terms of Flint Flon is we have a discovery there uh, at a really critical time for the community of Flint Flon in Manitoba. It's, It's a town that sits just on the border of Manitoba, Saskatchewan, uh, about eight hour drive from Winnipeg, uh, the capital of, of Manitoba there. And they've been mining there for a uh, hundred years. And that wow. mine, the triple seven mine, which is the more recent flagship mine for HUD Bay, that's been a key operator there, uh, is due to shut down next May. So that's mm. a very, very key time. There hasn't been a discovery been made for that community up until we made the discovery of Rainbow. 
uh, and Rainbow just sits uh, just outside of Flin Flon, about 30 minute drive. We made that discovery hole actually during the pandemic, uh, oddly enough, during the shutdown. August, yeah, August of 2020. Uh, and since that time, we've been delineating the resource. The discovery was made at 900 meters vertical depth. Uh, we've just announced uh, more recently that we've got pending assays up to 35 meters vertical depth. Uh, and, you know, that's very, very key. Uh, not only is it is it uh, just ideally located outside of Flint Flon, uh, 30 minutes by road access, there's a historic head frame on site, hydroelectric power line within 200 meters of the deposit. And it's actually stacking up to be one of the highest grade copper deposits in the world. Uh, in that, yeah, Flint Flon's known for that, believe it or not. Yeah. Uh, mostly, a lot of these high grade copper discoveries are in Central Africa, in the Congo, and the DRC. Mm. There's a lot of geopolitical risk, uh, obviously, associated with those. Uh, in, in, in Flint Flon's case, you have obviously different, different, uh, you don't have the geopolitical risk associated with the DRC. You've got the rule of law, you've got a rich mining history, you've got clean, low cost power. Uh, so once we build scale and build tonnage, which we're in the process of doing at Rainbow, uh, you know, I really believe that we're on the, the path to be one of the cleanest copper, uh, deposits in the world, uh, should it, you know, go into production, which is obviously the ultimate goal for the company. Uh, so that's what we're on to as far as I'm reading long winded, but uh kind of what we're up to in in manitoba that's fantastic very exciting i must admit in one of my former lives before i came to to, uh, immigrated to canada i was actually in the freight forwarding logistics warehousing business and i was transporting that product out of the drc oh very interesting that that you speak of it because yeah it's a radically different environment to canada and I mean, one of the exciting problems we had there was when you loaded the the, the um, minerals in, on the trains to ship them out, you, we used to weld the cars closed so that oh, wow. the product couldn't be stolen and, and put armed guards on top. And you had to basically leave origin and land in port within 24 hours nonstop. Wow. So it was a logistical yeah. challenge, well, which we don't have here. Yeah, and people don't appreciate, uh, often over, you know, don't have much appreciation for the fact that the average grade of copper on the world is half a percent. Yes. So imagine getting a cup of sand, and within that cup of sand, you know, it's obviously just visual, half a percent of that is what you're going after for copper. And copper is used everywhere. It's the bellwether metal. Uh, it's They call it Dr. Copper. It's, it shows the health of the economy. Uh, and you've had a lack of investment in exploration for copper deposits over the past decade. And I thought yes. that was incredible. I mean, the fact that you could go into Flint Flon, Manitoba as a jurisdiction and uh, go out and, and explore. Them. We went out and acquired those assets in the Maritimes in New Brunswick and Newfoundland, Canada. Uh, it was really no man's land. There was no one was doing any work. Uh, base metals weren't sexy, so to speak. Yeah. Uh, you know, it was, well, you know, other things were more exciting around <laughs> Like, uh, you know, people have been lured to the precious metal side of the business, gold, uh, silver. Uh, you know, the world moves on base metals. The world's built on base metals, and they're very, very critical. And right now, it's really the perfect storm on the macro level because you have a really a lack of investment on the supply side. Uh, these deposits are getting more and more challenging to find uh, at a time where these government policy is putting mandates uh, for big demand growth. As you shift away from hydrocarbon, you, you, you only do that one way. It's with metals. Because uh, yes. if, you, if you can touch it, it's either grown, it's pumped out of the ground, or it's mined. Mm-hmm. So if you're not going to pump out the power supply, you've got to mine the power supply. 
And when you're looking to mine it, you obviously want to look for clean supply sources. And it's certainly not a clean, environmentally sustainable growth perspective if you're mining half a percent copper to, to power this, you know, the, the, uh, these electric vehicles, even these electric-powered lawnmowers. Yes. Future. So all these take metals, uh, and this is a big demand. And on the same time, you've got huge infrastructure spending plans globally. The One Belt, One Road initiative out of China is the largest infrastructure program in the world's ever seen. And then obviously the updating of infrastructure that's very critical in the West, uh, most notably in the United States. Because if you look at the infrastructure in the U.S., the infrastructure in the U.S. is really built post-World War II uh, mm. during the 1950s. And that was really coming out in terms of how do you, uh, well, the 1950s and predating the 1950s with Roosevelt and a lot of their big infrastructure plans, the Hoover Dam, uh, but the interstate build out, those type of infrastructures are huge, huge demands on metals. Those are and resources in general. And so to have both of those in tandem with the supply constraint is a very remarkable opportunity in the base metal space. And to layer that on top of what we're looking to do for the community of Flin Flon, uh, is is really really exciting. That's why obviously I'm very very, very passionate about uh, what what I wake up to do every day with our team. Absolutely. I mean, being able to give that community a continued existence is incredibly valuable. I would think Hud Bay was probably um, ratcheting down their number of employees radically within this next six months. I mean, so it's yeah, so pretty urgent for them. Yeah, they put a memo. They're forecasted to go from uh, 785 direct jobs there to 50 jobs by 2023. Uh, so wow. it's going to unwind very, very quickly. At the yes. same time, they're trying to offset some of those jobs through, you know, obviously retirement as well as uh, shifting some of those jobs. But you can't offset that because those are direct jobs for one. Yes. Uh, and to keep in mind, Snow Lake is not as appealing of a community. That's where a lot of jobs are going. So oh. uh, that's a different community about 200 kilometers away uh, yes. or so different production center so you have that infrastructure in town you uh you also have big reclamation liabilities because you got to keep in mind this area has been mined for 100 years of continuous production with that being said the reclamation liabilities have been just updated from 140 million to 322 million and that's going up to 2122 100 years out so there's a really uh, great opportunity for rainbow and the discovery that we're uh, doing as well as overall exploration at Pine Bay, I think it's a really a testament to the fact that I think discoveries certainly can be made in these mature mining camps. Mm. And all I could have said from more negative outlook on the situation is that oh, all the discoveries have been found. There's nothing more to be found. I think that's a different approach. I think Rainbow certainly speaks to that uh, as in a discovery in a modern, uh, a mature mining camp. Uh, and as it's very, you know, the potential for it to already come within 300 meters of surface uh, that we've announced publicly and the potential for it to come even more close to the surface would also lend to the fact that there's near-surface discoveries being made in these, yeah. these camps. Uh, and that really, I think, oftentimes, uh, while Africa is a great place, I've, I've been able to travel to Africa. I was very, very fortunate for that. Um, I do think that, you know, exploration dollars should go uh, to safe jurisdictions and to where they can, that dollar can help our own communities here in, in Canada. Obviously, oh, wherever. I mean, particularly when we have an established community, let's support it. You know, I mean, it's in, in all of our interests to be supporting these these communities. So the world just generally hasn't been focused on exploring for these minerals for quite an extended period now. What was driving it? Did we have good deposits that, that were being mined out? Or why was there no funding and, and effort going towards the exploration side? 
Well, I mean, for any business, you have to have incentivization. You have to be incentivized mm-hmm. to explore, right? And so it's uh, not a, if you take a, unfortunately, or more realistically, a lot of the business strategies are very, very short-term focused. Yeah. I mean, the world's yeah, driven that way, right? I mean, yeah. that's, the world seems to be built more recently. So the, the old-fashioned way of taking a longer-term viewpoint on a strategy and a, a, a very cyclical business is kind of lost because the investor sentiment is always very short-term driven. The whole world is making money faster and faster and faster in their own world. And that's just not how the real world works. No, uh, unfortunately. <laughs> that's what it is. You get a hot movement on any kind of commodity, then the, the capital will be raised. Yes. It's during more challenging times where you have $2 copper, for example, that you had in 2014. It's less appealing, less appetizing, and investor demand is not there. And ultimately, just like a biotech deal where you're, you know, we don't generate cash flow, it's research and development driven research yeah. since being obviously the different surveys and the methodology and mindset to make a discovery. And then uh, our proof of concepts, obviously the, the truth machine or the, the drill bit, you know, drilling yes. the, the hole in the ground to find out and delineating a resource that they're after. Uh, but you need to have the capital to sustain that. And that's really dependent on shorter term outcomes where that attention has been taken more away more recently by you know really the the crypto craze mm-hmm. the, the marijuana uh, phase those type of things of uh, are competing to this, for the same investor dollar but people overlook how critical these metals are until it's too late so the pendulum swings and that's really really in my view riding the wave so to speak of the commodity cycle it's a very very cyclical business and you want to get into that wave at the bottom and you want to ride that wave uh, to the top Right. And that's the exciting part of the business is that, you know, we've kind of really been through the tough times uh, and now to hit this discovery that we've hit in rainbow and have it emerging and, and be able to experience and ride that wave that I see coming and that we're kind of in the early stages of yes. uh, going to benefit from that. And our shareholders benefit from that, the community benefit from that. And then the ultimately where these metals need to go uh, are going to are going to benefit from that. And I can tell you, this is a strategic effort. I mean, you have the U.S. government come out more recently and call zinc uh, a strategic metal. And Interesting. It, so that's a very, very key is not only is it a metal, it's a fourth most consumed metal in the world. So this what? isn't some rare earth, you know, in terms of zinc, zinc's used to galvanize steel. It's a very mm-hmm. structure. So if you look at what China has been very strategic uh, in going out, particularly in very aggressive in Africa, as well as in Canada and other places around the world and acquiring these metals for supply for their economies. And I think the Western economies are now playing catch up to that. So I think having assets and you have a strong conviction that having these assets in these safe jurisdictions uh, at a very kind of key geopolitical time uh, is going to benefit us even more so. Absolutely. Now, success in exploration is very much dependent on having the right people, let's face it. And I seem to think that Kalinex, you have a fantastic group of people. Can you tell us a little about them? Yeah, certainly. So, uh, I mean, uh, well, I think the, the fact that we've hit the rainbow, the discovery of rainbow speaks to it. Uh, oh, yeah. But that we've had, uh, the reason why we've been so successful is, uh, you know, success breeds success. So when I took over Calix in 2014, uh, clearly I, had, I mentioned that I didn't have a, a, I'm not a geologist. I wasn't born a bred geologist, so to speak, a second generation, anything like many of our team members are. So we went out and looked for the best of the best in our technical team has been credited with the discovery of three of the four largest mines in Flint Point's history. Awesome. Uh, 
you know, the easiest way to replicate the success is kind of go and, and find the people that have had that success before yes. uh, and then, you know, tweak it a bit. And so we've tweaked it, took a bit of time, and, and we've also changed the model for exploration. Uh, and that's what led to our success. So, again, we've got a team that across the board, whether it be from a geophysical skill set, geological skill set, uh, and engineering skill set as well in terms of our board. We have a technical team that's had a lot of success in base metals exploration uh, and just not in Canada, but across the world. Yeah, fantastic. And so you're working three jurisdictions, essentially. What would be the plan from the investor's perspective? Would you develop the one and then move on to the others? Or are you working all three at the same time? Obviously, Rainbow's been significantly successful in the last very short term right so yeah it's unique in terms of exploration assets as you can imagine is is their cyclical business the assets become more and more cyclical and what makes unique these high-grade assets like rainbow so unique is that uh high-grade is no matter the market high-grade is king oh yeah uh, so to speak in, in terms of saying that uh with that being said the assets in the maritimes are a, more of a deeper portfolio of assets that we've been oh. moving, along, moving along more more uh, steadily and slowly where the focus has been on Rainbow. So as Rainbow is now blossoming, uh, more and more of the capital and all the focus will shift over to Rainbow. But that doesn't uh, take away from what the other assets are. And I think it really backs up the valuation of the company. Yes. It's having more developed assets right now as Rainbow plays catch up to that. Uh, because again, you know, when we announced the PEA, which is a preliminary economic assessment, on our Nash Creek and uh, Nash Creek uh, and Bathurst, uh, New Brunswick portfolio of assets in 2018, that was uh, really two weeks before the U.S.-Chinese trade war, and zinc prices wow. were a pound, and our base case was a dollar twenty-five zinc on the economic assumptions made in that PEA that we published. Within weeks of that, zinc prices went to ninety cents a pound. So right. really, there's a lot of optionality in the portfolio because now zinc moving forward. Uh, as I mentioned, it's just become a strategic metal. Again, as you can see, uh, kind of on the backdrop of everything going on from the geopolitical yeah. standpoint, uh, there's a lot of optionality in these other assets. Uh, so as, you know, Rainbow is really the crown jewel, so to speak, at the portfolio as it emerges uh, from a discovery hole, which is really unique. Because, I mean, if you look at a lot of these mining companies, uh, really it's an old asset that they'll tell a new story on. Rainbow is yeah. brand new. Every hole we put into Rainbow is something brand new out that we're learning in uh, Nash Creek is a situation where we acquired an asset, we grew it substantially, and then we published a, a, the economics on it. Uh, so moving forward, again, the, the, all, all the focus is going to be on Manitoba. Uh, while we have these other assets in the portfolio, like uh, we just completed a, a very small campaign at Nash Creek, as well as we updated a resource uh, in, in Newfoundland. I mean, the, the Newfoundland asset, Point Leamington, is a very, very uh, a sizable uh, copper, uh, I mean, sorry, gold, copper, zinc resource near surface, also within a mineral lease, 35 kilometers away from the town of Grand Falls, Windsor. So uh, again, you have to have access to market, people, power. Uh, these are very, very strategic assets. Yeah, and we'll yeah. look to divest those or bring in partners uh, while we really focus on Rainbow and, and uh, accelerating Rainbow's growth. Right, makes sense. So where are you focused in 2022 then? Will it be largely Rainbow or what are your, what's your thinking? Yeah, certainly it's going to be Rainbow. Rainbow and Pine Bay where Rainbow sits. 
and, and accelerating the delineation of that resource. So when you when you drill out a discovery, that's the most exciting. That's how you create a lot of value, right? Because when you put out a resource, it states really what are the contents of the deposit, how much metals in the ground, what are the, what's the grade, what's the percentage, um, and of course where you're located is very key. Uh, being where it's located, it's obviously really critical as we kind of went over. So looking forward to 2022, we're going to uh, focus on continuing to delineate Rainbow, as well as Pine Bay, which is another deposit on site in very close proximity to Rainbow, uh, to bring that up to a 43101 compliant resource. And we also want to continue to do exploration on the property, because as I mentioned earlier, we, we, we brought in a different exploration approach, which has ultimately led to a different outcome on Rainbow. But that was really done on a much smaller footprint of a very, very large land package that hasn't had any modern day exploration and mm. certainly hasn't had this exploration approach that we utilize here at Calinex uh, that was critical making the a rainbow discovery itself. Absolutely. That's exciting. I mean, you, you could well find that this deposit is quite extensive as you do further exploration and just increase the value significantly. I mean, this is unquestionably what's been driving the Kalanek share price over the last little while. It's been reacting pretty positively. Is your shareholding contain large blocks or is it fairly widely split between the shielder breakdown, that's one of the things that we did coming out of the 2019. As I mentioned, the 2018 down cycle for zinc was uh, uh, hurt the hurt Kalanix, right? Because the company was known uh, for that those zinc assets. Uh-huh. And, uh, um, really, the market threw the baby out with the bathwater. Yes. Uh, so with that being said, in, in 2018, 2019, 2019 is the year that we did a, a restructuring of the, the, the capital structure of the company. Right. Company, so we have just 13 and a half million shares outstanding. 26% of that's going to be held by management and close associates, so that includes Stanley and all that. Um, myself, I'm one of the largest shareholders, as well as my family of the company. Obviously, been here for a long period of time and believe in what we're doing. And uh, you know, entrepreneurs make money by kind of going all in, so to speak. And I have yes. a significant portion of my net worth in this company because ultimately, aside from it being a job, it's something that I believe in and are very passionate about. Uh, and then in terms of institutional support, that's really where we've got a lot of the funding uh, over the, the years. We've got uh, over 30%, well, over 30% is institutionally held. Uh, we've got some very well-known resource funds, uh, Earth Resource uh, Fund out of Zurich, Switzerland, Switzerland just became a shareholder. More recently, Delbrook out of Vancouver, uh, Commodity Discovery Fund, Gold 2000, uh, uh, Resource Capital Funds has been a very long-standing shareholder of the company. Uh, and then we also have uh, obviously retail shareholders, which is you know part of having a public company. That's yeah. very key to uh, overall capital structures having that retail support as well. Uh, so it's tightly held. Um, but if you want to build a position, obviously we're a public company, and there's ways to do that. Yeah, and I mean it sounds like you do have a reasonable block of retail investors too. So there's the opportunity for active trading in the share, which unfortunately some of our stock is so tightly held that the retail investors are able to to, to force the share price to be entirely erratic. I mean, it reacts on, on mysteries and wishes rather than true news. I, I think in, in right now we're actually seeing that because we are so tightly held, candidly. Uh, you know, right now we're in the midst of tax loss selling. So if you look at Calix share price performance really over the past several months, then more <laughs> accelerated more frequently going into mm. November here, you, you have, uh, you know, Calix coming down to a, 
a much lower valuation than we raised money before we did all the successful drilling on Rainbow, right? Uh, so today, I think Calix trades around 260 Canadian a share uh, on our, our Canadian listing uh, on the TSX Venture. Um, but we, were, we did a capital raise, uh, hard dollar investment. It was at $4 and where we raised a lot of the capital to the drilling was actually worth $6 a share earlier this year. Yeah. So it's a really, uh, great opportunity. I think right now, if people are inclined to do so from a buying opportunity, just for non-business related, uh, but tax loss related selling, that's kind of put pressure on the, the share price. Yeah. Over the recent. Uh, so that being said, yes, we are tightly held. Um, and I think that's going to lead us to perform well in a, a rising commodity market uh, that we're currently in the middle of. Yeah, no, it makes a lot of sense. So where do you see the commodity prices going? Well, I think we're in a hyperinflationary environment. I think anybody that was arguing that was really talking the, their own book. I think a lot of the political spectrum policymakers were really talking about transitory more recently, obviously dropped transitory. I think it's really quite sad, uh, realistically, because it's printing a lot of this debt going on is, is being seen uh, everywhere. Mm-hmm. And that's, you know, going to obviously lead to inflation and real assets. So housing prices, commodity prices in general, and you really kind of poured fuel on the fire, so to speak, with all this government policy that's going to drive demand. So you've had lack of supply for so long, particularly in the base metal space, uh, because of you know lack of incentive, because of price action in, in the commodities prices uh, to incentivize exploration. And the fact that these discoveries are getting more challenging to find, I mean, it took a very, very long time to find Rainbow uh, and had to reinvent how we did that. And then you shifted and added demand onto all that at an inflationary time. So I think commodities are going to be a very, very exciting place to be. It's a cyclical business, uh, but things are, you know, coming in our favor. And, you know, again, we had to ride the wave out. And the bottom of the wave was really when I joined Kalanix in 2014. Mm-hmm. And that we've had the conviction to stick it through and then hit rainbow when we've hit it with the cap structure of the company with the, 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 the local community needs amplified with the need of a discovery for the town. And then on the, on the backdrop of this macroeconomic uh, tailwind for commodities overall, uh, whether it be pandemic related, government spending related, uh, policy related, uh, and then supply constraints at the same time, it's really a perfect storm for us. Yeah, makes a lot of sense. A lot of commentators believe that the market has become completely untethered from reality. And certainly, I mean, if one looks at the gold and silver prices over the last little while, they are not reflecting reality at all. And in the past, some of these untethered cycles have landed in major collapses or historic collapses in the market. Do you think we're headed for one of those this time or what's different if we're not? Oh, and the wheels will come off at some point. Uh, They always do, yes. (laughs) Really, I hate to say say that. um, And I think that particularly I would be very, very careful in these assets that don't have any intrinsic value. Right. What's about the world right now is someone out there believes, and I think there's a lot of... uh, uh, Manipulation in these unregulated markets is particularly mm-hmm. that become very, very exciting to a lot of uh, younger people. Uh, and then this new asset class, um, you know, anytime there's a new asset class that's created uh, with that, with easy money to be made, there's a lot of not so easy, you know, good things that come along with that. And I think a lot of people get very, very hurt from that. And so I think a lot of this uh, wealth that people think they've created, um, 
they can see that you're only as wealthy as the bid. And if you don't have a bid, uh, what, what's your asset really worth, right? Yeah. And so yeah. liquidity on those type of things is, is obviously you can say you have liquidity risk on any liquid stock, but you can have a way more liquidity risk on something that's just fictitious. And there's a lot of that going on. And that's where you see a lot of frothiness uh, with that being said. But, you know, I think in terms of housing prices, at least in the United States, uh, they're not too disillusioned yet with the disposable income. If you look at housing prices in Canada, they're completely detached from reality. Right. Uh, so, uh, with that being said, it, it all has to come to an end. And ultimately, uh, the politicians can only kick the can down the road for so long. Yeah. Um, but with that, when that comes, it's going to create another opportunity. Right. Yeah. And that's really how you got to look at these things is that you want to, like Warren Buffett says, you want to be greedy when others are fearful. Mm-hmm. Uh, that was like a great example is last March 2020. Uh, sorry, my perception of time is a little bit off, but okay. you know, so- fear, you know, the whole world, like a lot of people in the world thought that, you know, the end is near. And when you yeah. have that kind of fear override everyone, that creates tremendous buying opportunities. Yes. Uh, and so, yes, will there be a, a pullback? Certainly. Uh, well, I think there'd be a crash in certain asset classes. Yes. But I think there's going to be asset classes that are completely de- detached and don't have any intrinsic value. Gotcha. When you buy Calix, for example, I know that when I'm a Calix shareholder, I'm having real assets in the ground. Yeah. Deposits that are in the ground, they're there. When I buy a home, the home exists, yeah. right? Notion that I want to go buy a virtual uh, suit for an avatar in a 3D space is delusional, right? Yes. And yeah. is it something that will come around and evolve? Yes. Uh, but do you have an asset that, you know, I can buy something in the real world physically and own it that there's only a limited version of for, you know, an X dot, uh, you know, $10, for example, but to go buy a digital version of that asset, it costs you a thousand dollars relative to it. That's not reality. And yeah. That's very dangerous for some people. But at the same time, you know, I think that uh, there's a lot of fortunes to be made between now and then, uh, particularly when you are positioning yourselves in these big shifts that are driven by government policy. If you look at out of uh, government policy, that's what led, you know, the growth out of these bad times is the infrastructure spending. So while I don't agree with a lot of the government spending and a lot of the debt that's being taken on by these uh, fiat currencies, so to speak, uh, and the printing that just has gotten out of control, where I can agree with it is on infrastructure spending, uh, not solely because obviously it's going to be a big driver for commodities, but bigger no. <laughs> driver for job growth. Yes. And job growth is absolutely critical at a stage where we are today. Yeah. And we know that, I mean, we need infrastructure just for our populations generally. You know, I mean, be it that infrastructure is aging or whatever. Printing so. debt, at least our children will be able to drive on this bridge when they're older. So right? true. As opposed to wherever this money is being burned into the air uh, yeah. on a recurrent theme. And, you know, the world's going to have to have an awakening at some point. Uh, and while it's not so too different right now, what's going on now in the, the 1960s, 1970s, uh, right? You had the, the a lot of the, um, obviously, space exploration was big back then. Space mm-hmm. exploration come back now. Uh, you had the detachment from the U.S. dollar and gold. Uh, that occurred in 1973. Um, a lot of the oil embargoes is very sim- symbolic to a lot of the oil movements that's happened over the past 18 months. Uh, so, you know, history often repeats itself. Yeah. And if you learn from history, you can create a lot of opportunities for yourself looking forward. 
and not get too tied up in the, the fear uh, kind of mindset that can be uh, driven into your mind uh, more recently. Yeah, makes a lot of sense. So through all of your business opportunities, you must have landed with significant challenges along the way. Have you had any particular secrets or techniques for unlocking the success for yourself and where public the shareholders as well? Well, I mean, I, you know, I took over Callens a, a much younger man than I am today. I'm still obviously, I think, a young man, but I was much younger then. I had just turned 31. And with that, you have a lot of learning. And I think the biggest thing that was driven me uh, when I was a younger person was when you, you get a position to be successful at a young age, you can be driven by different things. And I think the year, earlier rendition of myself was probably a, a young man that was driven by fear, right? The fear of failure, right? So I was very, very tied up in that. I think that uh, ultimately, when I let the world come to me, I'm supposed to chase it so much uh, and calm my mind, you know, through meditation and, and, and uh, those type of things, uh, that allows you to respond to different, uh, very uh, volatile situations, which are inherent in, in being an entrepreneur, and respond to that with a calmer mind. You know, you're going to get yourselves into situations, but having a calm mind can let you really evaluate things and make decisions much more patiently. Um, and so I think that's been critical to my success. Absolutely. That's really valuable. So in looking at other entrepreneurs, have you noticed that there are any particular reasons that some are very successful and yet others seem to continue to struggle? Have you noticed characteristics that are similar or not really? Well, you know, I'd say for my own self, I obviously need to continue delivering on what I, uh, the vision for the organization is. Yeah. I think if you look at some of the world's visionaries and most successful people, I do think that uh, meditation has been critical to their their growth. Mm-hmm. I think that if you look at the, the the track record of you know Steve Jobs, for example, and uh, something more something more notable that um, more well known, obviously, for being a visionary and what he added to the world. Yes. Uh, that was very critical to his, his path was uh, calming his own mind. We obviously found that at a much younger age than I did. Mm-hmm. Uh, but the same can be said for, you know, Robert Friedland in the mining space. Uh, um, Mark Benahoff, the founder of salesforce.com was actually, uh, you know, a, a guy that was with um, Oracle uh, and went off on a sabbatical, started meditating, came back, founded salesforce.com. So there is a similarity to that end. Uh, in you know the science based in my opinion, I think there's a lot more research has been involved, and I think a lot more moving forward. I, you know, a lot of the meditations really tied to higher consciousness and calming that your subconscious mind, and I think that's why you're also seeing psychedelics that were big in the 1960s, 1970s, and psychedelic research is really uh, making a comeback right now. I do believe you know looking forward that um, psilocybin, uh, those type of uh, different uh, treatments. Uh, will advance, which is also a you know big shift in, in terms of mindset, and that's yes. really kind of goes back to meditation. Everybody wants an easy way out. Mm-hmm. Uh, that's really the easy way out uh, for people, as opposed to you know everyone wants to take a pill to solve their problem. Yeah. Uh, often, if you sit on it, I mean, it's the same mindset that if you think something negative, it that's gonna make you sick, right? You can literally get sick, and at the same time, when you think something positive, you can actually make yourself feel a whole lot better. You know, the markets are very emotional driven, right? And everybody, the emotion of the markets can change just by a statement out of the Federal Reserve or some outlying event can change that. And that's all can be changed by yourself. So when you realize that you have control over that yourself, 
um, you can, you know, I think live a happier, healthier life, I suppose, and be a more successful entrepreneur. And that's setting a pattern that you can see, whether it be from a Steve Benahoff uh, or Mark Benahoff or a, a Steve Jobs or Robert Friedland or any of these type of, uh, I would, I'm sure if you pulled Elon Musk aside, he, he probably would say he has to calm his mind because that guy's mind is active, right? And if you don't calm his active mind, it goes into overdrive. You know, too much of a good thing is too much. You can really kill yourself on anything that you have too much of. Whether you drink too much milk, you could die off of. Uh, really in moderation. Uh, so certainly, I do. I do think that that has uh, been critical to a lot of entrepreneurs out there. Whether it's inherently a trait that they possess or something that they've taught themselves. Um, you know, calm mind leads to really brilliant things. Yeah, no, it's amazing how powerful our human brains are, as you say, for positive and negative, negative purposes. Unfortunately, sometimes we drink our own Kool Aid too and convince ourselves of things. But yeah. yeah, well, I mean, if you when you have someone that walks into the room, there's people that walk into the room, they immediately they have something about them, a charisma yes. that you're drawn to, right? And then the same thing is if you're walking down the street and you see someone that's in a bad attitude or in a bad mindset or a bad place themselves, you can kind of obviously not get too drawn to that situation. You you were yeah. you from that situation, right? So I think it's being in a present state. And when you're in a present state, you won't you're not too caught up with what occurred in the past or what's to come in the future because you can be driven by being afraid of what's to come. Uh, and really, at least in particularly in mental exploration, it's not for the faint of heart. And really you got to, you know, be grounded through the whole process because there's a lot of things that are outside of your control as you walk down. Yeah, makes a lot of sense. So do you have any thoughts to leave us with? We've certainly covered some really valuable topics here. Anything that we haven't perhaps covered? I, I mean, I think we covered a pretty diverse uh, group of topics, uh, but, you know, certainly I think ultimately I think the world uh, rebounds. Uh, and, and while it might not be the most stable environment right now, I think we're going through some larger shifts that, you know, have gone through before in different iterations of themselves. And so when you keep that in mind and keep uh, that in context, uh, you can have a, a very rewarding life and have a lot of success irrespective of what's going on in the world. And if anybody's inclined to become a shareholder of the company, uh, you can definitely do so. Uh, by visiting our website to get more information at calinex.ca. Uh, we also trade on the Vancouver Stock Exchange, uh, sorry, the Toronto Venture Stock Exchange. I live in Vancouver, as well as OTC in the United States and the ticker CLLXF. Awesome. Thank you very much. That's very much appreciated. And I will link up those on the show notes page so that people can access them once they've listened to the podcast, particularly if people are on the run. So thank you very much for joining us today. This has been an, a really interesting conversation. And certainly, Calinex is a valuable opportunity for people to investigate and explore. You're on the front end at a very good time in a very valuable search that we are likely to have with if nothing else, the green energy surge that we, we are going to need over this next while, the commodities you are, are exploring for are going to be required for all of those, all the infrastructure as well as those vehicles and, and cabling and stuff. Yes, certainly. I really appreciate you having me. It's been a great opportunity. The Unlocking Business Growth Podcast is sponsored by Protea Consulting Professional Corporation. 
we help our clients translate their operating and accounting data into the strategy for business growth they're truly capable of. Subscribe to the Unlocking Business Growth podcast on iTunes, Google Play and Spotify to hear from other companies that have overcome growth challenges. Get a free copy of NOLA's latest book, The 5F Strategy, Bottom Line Growth in Any Economy Without Additional Sales and Marketing and download the Financial Growth Scorecard at proteaconsulting.ca. Work with us to achieve your business potential. To find out if we're a fit for your business, email info at proteaconsulting.ca and follow the Unlocking Business Growth Podcast on LinkedIn and Facebook.